United our gathering events, and he taught lots of young people how to lead worship, and we're now the beneficiaries of that. It's a remarkable and beautiful thing that that ministry has happened, and that in your previous leader's absence, you guys carry on. So thank you for what you've done. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I want to, just before I jump into comments, um, emphasize, uh, it's on your flyer, or whatever we call it, <laughs> that you were given this morning, the new groups that are starting, uh, I think, mostly this week. Um, uh, there are a few in particular. We have offered the Alpha Group for new believers, and nobody signed up for it, and that may, maybe that's okay, but I can't imagine that there aren't people here who would really benefit from going back to the absolute basics, critical understanding of the basics of faith. So if that's you or somebody you know, uh, please sign up today, and we can still run that if, if the need is there. Um, and there are other groups there for you to give your attention to, but I want to particularly talk about the group I'm leading. Not to bolster the numbers, but because uh, the issue that's being addressed in it is really significant for our denomination and for our own congregation. I'm going to be leading uh, people, there are already a bunch of people signed up, so uh, people through the discussion about what the Bible teaches about homosexuality. And I know it's a controversial topic, but it's, it's an incredibly important topic, uh, especially as our denomination considers a change in its position on human sexuality. Uh, has big implications for our denomination and this congregation. And uh, again, I would ask you to pray for our elders who are processing this uh, and uh, thinking carefully about uh, how to proceed and uh, how to lead this congregation. And if indeed that time comes when it needs to, it will. But we need wisdom and direction from God to that end. But um, we're wanting to give opportunity to our church to really think carefully about this topic from a biblical point of view. And part of what we're offering is this first six-week study on the issue. And uh, as I say, I'll be leading that. So if you'd like to sign up, please do so. Uh, there will be more uh, ways for you to be involved and to grapple with the issues as we go forward. So a um, couple of... Uh, well, there are a few options for you to get involved with there. I've even heard of one life group that's coming en masse to this study for the, this season so that they can dig into the, the teaching of the Bible. All right, let me pray. And uh, as I often do, not always, but often before I preach, so that God might really do what God wants to do in the lives of his people. Let's pray. Lord, we know this book, the Bible, is inspired and true. It comes from you through its authors, uh, so that we might know your mind, your heart, your will, your character, your salvation. And we pray today, Lord, that it will come alive again to us, and it will inform us, and it will challenge us, and it will change us, so that we can be the people you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me say, just before I start, sometimes I write sermons and I get up and I preach them in the first service and I realize, oh, yeah, this is one of these challenging ones. <laughs> Woo! It's a challenging one. And I, I mean that. I don't realize it almost till I'm speaking it because I just think, oh, my job is to preach the Bible and I do it. And then, and then it's like, whoa. Oof. So I'm glad you're sitting down. I can stand. Um, but it, it, it brings us for the last time to the question of our identity, who we are in Christ. And I've said it every single time because it's so incredibly important. For those who are in Christ, these things apply. Children, friends, servant, slave, saint, and steward. And um, in this one in particular, I think, no in all of them, but this one definitely, it defines our relationship with God. I'm going to talk about stewardship. And... Um, Stewardship is, is uh, being a steward, and that's what I'm saying we are. It's the biblical identity that is given to us by God through Scripture. Uh, when we grapple with it and we understand it and we apply it in our lives, it changes us. It's a big deal. 
most often stewardship is, is given application uh, to our financial resources, and that's where we'll start and we'll go elsewhere right at the end of this talk. But essentially the idea is this, that everything that we have is a gift from God, everything. And when we start with our financial resources, what we recognize as followers of Jesus is that uh, the resources in our bank accounts or in our investment portfolios or where, wherever we might hold them, our homes, all these things that we think are mine, if you're in Christ, they're not yours, they're his. Now, that's kind of a shocking dynamic when people are first exposed to it. I get that. But it's the biblical teaching. It's all rooted in the idea of, of uh, of, of the role of the steward in, in biblical times. Um, people who were well off, and the assumption is if we're in Christ, we're well off, <laughs> not financially, but in every way. Um, not necessarily financially, but in every way. Uh, the, 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 the well off would have a steward or stewards in, in his home, as was the case then, and these people were placed in trusted positions, and the idea was that they would manage the financial and business and personal affairs of the master. So very literally, they had access to all the money, and they were to run the business in such a fashion that the master benefited. The idea being, uh, by the way, in the Old Testament, you know the story of Joseph? He became a steward of Potiphar, you know, uh, before his wife, Potiphar's wife falsely accused Joseph. And it was so, uh, such a drastic punishment because Potiphar trusted this man, Joseph, and believed the lie of his, of his wife. But he was in charge of all of Potiphar's affairs. Um, and the idea is that, that you know, um, the, the steward is given that, uh, that, that access to those resources in order to act on behalf and for the sake of the master. Jesus, in Matthew 25, talks about um, a master who was going away and he gave money to three different stewards. And he basically said, take the money and use it for my purposes. What he meant by that is, make the money grow. Put it into practice, use it in business, and make me some money which was common in that day. And, and then in time, then, the master went away and left the stewards to do their work. Well, to apply that to our lives, Jesus has gone away. He's ascended to heaven as Lord and as Savior, and he gives us our financial resources and other things as well, but he entrusts them to us. He says, now use those resources, financial and otherwise, for my sake, to benefit me, first and foremost. By implication, not you. Uh, he wants us to act on his behalf for his sake. Now, we're going to dig into this uh, biblical concept today, um, ra radical and revolutionary as it is, uh, by using a passage that doesn't even use the word steward in it, but it has stewardship written all over it, okay? We're going to talk about the story of the rich young ruler, uh, a young guy who comes to Jesus with a question, and the question as you'll see, is this, Mark 10, 17 and 18. So as Jesus started on his way, he was just doing life. He was just on to the next destination. A man, says a young man in other, other, other gospels, but a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now, I don't know about you, but that response to me is very odd. Here's this guy kneeling before Jesus. Good, master. I want to know eternal life. Can you tell me how? And what Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. 
We're going to talk about this more in a minute. But if nothing else, Jesus is essentially saying, are you calling me God or not? Okay? Hold on to that. Remember the question of Jesus. Jesus then carries on, verses 19 to 20. And in response to this young man's question about taking hold of eternal life, he says, Jesus says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Um, Teacher, he declared, this is the young man, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. To me, that's a really important comment. He loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then. Come and follow me. Um, you know, this comment that I, that I pointed you to, that Jesus looked at him and loved him, really significant to me. The New, New Living Translation says that he looked at, looked at him with genuine love. Jesus with genuine love in his heart. Everything that Jesus does with his young man, understand this, proceeds from a heart of love. And as you grapple with the challenging teaching of Jesus in this passage, will you understand that it comes from a heart of love to you? Will you understand that? What's going on here? Well, first of all, the young man comes and says, what do, I, what do I do to get eternal life? Jesus gives them this set of commandments that I've just read. Don't, don't steal, don't commit adultery, and, and so forth. These are the commandments that are part of the second half of the Ten Commandments. Uh, those rules God gave uh, Israel in their, to, to form them and, and to live by. And they have to do, all of them, with human relationships with one another. Our relationship with one another, don't steal and don't murder, don't commit all. It's, it's, it's on this plane, human-to-human behavior. This guy responds, essentially, as, as the text says, by saying, all these things that, I, that you mentioned, I've done them since I was a young child, a boy. And it's then that Jesus responds with genuine love, genuine love. He looks at him and he feels deeply for him because Jesus knew what this young guy thought about himself was not true. I mean, if somebody came to you and said, have you obeyed, obeyed all of those commands since you were a child? Would you say yes? I hope not. Because what the Bible says and what our experience tells is that none of us can keep all those commandments all the time. And I wonder how many people are like this young guy who honestly believed in his heart of hearts, I live a good enough life to, to, to gain the favor of God, to have eternal life, to get into heaven when I die. A lot of people do, I'm afraid. Um, you know, somehow they think that the way they lo- live can satisfy the demands of God so that in the end of the day, it'll be okay. I want to read to you a famous verse, Romans 3.23, which says this. For everyone has sinned. I don't think there are any exceptions here. And there wasn't certainly in this young guy's life. He just wasn't willing to acknowledge it. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. What's God's standard in terms of behavior, in terms of people accessing heaven? It's perfection. You can't get into heaven if you are guilty of sin. That's why Jesus came. It's why Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sin, given us that status of holiness that we talked about recently. If we could get into heaven because of the way we live, he wouldn't have had to die. Why bother? Let them take care of it on their own. 
No, the standard of God is incredibly glorious and it is high. And this young guy is saying, no, I've done all those things. And I, a lot of people think I can live well enough to gain access to eternal life. When that time comes, no. And Jesus looked at this young man and knew that it wasn't true. And he felt for him deeply. Now, I want to tell you this. If I had been Jesus in that, that position, so Pastor Chris is there and not Jesus. That, this, these things that I've just described to you are exactly what I would have said to him. No, you, you can't pretend that you're perfect. You have to acknowledge your sin. You have to confess your sin before God. You have to ask God for forgiveness and receive it. And then, then you have to invite Christ into your life to be in relationship with God. That's eternal life that will last from now to eternity. Now, the humbling thing about it is that's exactly not what Jesus did. <laughs> he, he didn't do that. What Jesus, done, uh, done, what Jesus did again is different. Let me go back to verse 21, um, where essentially he says, if we can pop 21 up, what he says is, well, there's one thing that you lack. And I want you to think about what that is this morning. It's not as obvious as it appears. There's one thing that is missing in this guy's heart. There's something missing in his life. One thing. And I want you to know when you leave today what that is. Jesus said, go sell everything and give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven, and then you can follow me, but not before. Um, I want to tell you, that's odd too. It's odd. Because those of us who know scripture, and I'm sure many of you do, know that actions don't save us. You know, this, this young guy, if he had actually gone and sold everything, he said, well, that's another good moral act, therefore I'm into heaven. Doesn't work that way, right? It's not actions that save us, it's faith that saves us. You see, I, I want to tell you, Jesus is on his game in this moment. Jesus, the brilliant teacher, Jesus, the insightful one, Jesus, the one who understands the human condition and the human heart, is totally on his game. For what he is asking this young man to do is to address not his relationship with people, but his relationship with God. Um, see, the, 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 the first four of the Ten Commandments, not the latter four, which are human-to-human -human relationship, the first four of the Ten Commandments relate to our relationship uh, with the Lord himself. Uh, the first one being Exodus 20, verse 3, which says this, You must not have any God but me. You must not have any God but me, the Lord said to his people. The second commandment, and I'm all going to do too, Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. And the beginning of verse 5 says this. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your, note the word, affection for any other gods affection for any other gods. Um, see, what Jesus is doing is this, is looking into this young man's heart and perceiving what is there, and he is asking this young man to give up what has become for him a god. This young man has made for himself an, uh, an idol which he has put before the Lord himself. It's like Jesus is putting his finger on the issue of this young man's life. If indeed he wants to transition from where he is, not having eternal life, to where he wants to be, entering into eternal life, relationship with the living God. And the Lord says in these commandments, it only happens in one way. Now, 
Stick with me. Back to the approach this young guy made to Jesus. Remember I told you we'd come back to it? He's kneeling in front of Christ. He's acting as if Jesus is the Lord of his life. You know, he's in a position of worship um, as he kneels there, isn't he? He's kneeling in front of Jesus. And, he, and he's, he's wanting eternal life. He's, he's talking the stuff of Christ. This is what Jesus is so intent about and passionate about. But the question becomes, is he willing now in this instance to obey Jesus as Lord? Is he willing to recognize that Jesus is not only good, but that he is also God? And this is why Jesus asked the question, why do you call me good? Isn't God, isn't only God good? He, see, Jesus is saying, will you make me and my will number one in your life? Jesus is saying, will you get your heart right with the living God and serve him only and have no other gods before you? He's saying, will you value me above all else and will you make me and my word to you your greatest priority? Jesus is saying, not only will you kneel before me, but in your heart of hearts, will you let go of other gods and make me your God? Do you understand that? Now, in the end, the young man's answer was no. Another shocking thing. Shocking. Verse 22 says this. At this, the man's face fell. I think he began to perceive what Jesus was after. And he went away very sad, for he had many possessions. He was a rich young man. And he just was not willing to do what Jesus asked him. Why? Listen to me. Understand this, because... In the end, his heart was attached to his possessions. I can almost visualize his heart holding on to that wealth um, and, and, and loving that wealth and valuing that wealth even to the point of not being willing to live in obedience to Jesus. And he couldn't and he wouldn't and he refused to let it go. See, his wealth was his God. His possessions were, were God to him, not Jesus. And as Exodus chapter 20 says, the Lord comes along into our lives and he says, you can't have any other God in your life which comes before me and still be mine. Now, understand that, IPC. You want a relationship with God. You can't have another God. You can't have an idol in your life. You can't be attached to something in your heart of hearts that you're not willing to let go of when Jesus asks you to. Otherwise, it is your God. I don't care what prayer you've said, and I don't care what you do on a Sunday morning. It's the heart condition that Jesus is addressing here. See, what this one thing this young man didn't have was faith. Denise is going through a number of answers, and you got it. <laughs> he didn't have faith. He didn't trust Jesus as Lord and as Savior. He hadn't yielded his life entirely to Christ and to his will. And he was holding on to something. And when Christ himself asked him to let, him, let it go, he said, no, sorry. And he walked away sad and without eternal life. And I want to tell you, that's powerful teaching, right? And that's challenging teaching. You know, Jesus is really consistent in this. And I thought of the various teachings of Christ in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are completely consistent with, with, with this interaction with the young man, one of them being the great commandment in, in uh, Matthew 22. Somebody came along and tried to trick Jesus and saying, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your soul, uh, 
Uh, heart, mind, and uh, soul, and mind, right? Whatever it says. You know, like I love God a lot. <laughs> and uh, everything you have, everything you have, love God. Well, the, you know, the Old Testament text from which Jesus quotes is different, and I often get them confused. So. There are extra words in there in the Old Testament. Anyway, um, just shows you how human I am, right? Um, and, then, and then Jesus said, the second commandment's like it. it says, love your neighbor as yourself. What's he asking this young guy to do? Love God first, not your wealth. Put me and my commandments and my will first in your life, not your possessions. And then he turns around and says, go sell them all and give to who? Your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. Sell all your possessions, prove to me that I'm your God, and then care for people who are in need who, are, who surround you. Um, it's, 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 it's repeatedly taught in Scripture. It is here. My friends, the question for us today <laughs> and this is where it gets more and more challenging as if it isn't already what's going on in your heart do you know why as your pastor feel great responsibility for your hearts someday i'm going to i'm going to stand before god and he said how did you care for the people in your in your church and you know one of the things i want to tell them is i was honest with them about what the book said i can't change your heart but i can tell you what the book says in the book and the, its author, by his spirit, can change your heart. And it's my job. My responsibility is not your heart. My responsibility is to be honest with you about your heart, get you to think about your heart, and tell you what the book says about your heart. And the question is, what's going in our hearts? You see, it's really easy. <laughs> it's really, really easy to take a posture of worship like this young man did. Oh, Jesus, good master, how do I inherit it? Look, looking really good, right? Pretty religious, pretty impressive. It's really easy to take a posture of worship, such as you have this morning. You're here. What did you do when I prayed earlier? I don't know, but I bowed my head in the presence of God. I humbled myself in His presence. Religious, good. Uh, we sing the songs, great songs, challenging songs. If you really did, you notice. Um, we can, we can sing the song. We can do all these things. We can come on a Sunday morning and look good. We can even believe that Jesus is a good master. He's a good guy. Good, Lord, good, good, good one who has come. But my friends, what is in our hearts? Listen, if there's anything in our hearts that we are so attached to that we're not willing to let go of them in order to obey Jesus, we have a problem. That's what this passage says. If there's anything that we love or value more than God, we're in a real place of difficulty, and we ought to recognize it as such. Because what we are experiencing in the moment is that we have another God in our lives, and we have placed an idol before Jesus, contrary to the Ten Commandments. And what does this passage say about peop such people who, who do that? In, willingly, intentionally, or not. Holding on, heart attached to something, even though Jesus says, let it go. What does the passage say about them? I'll tell you what it, what it says. It says they do not have eternal life. And it doesn't matter what little prayer we've said or what we do on a Sunday morning or if we kneel before Jesus in our homes it's, you see the challenge in this? 
And you see the honesty that it brings to us? The honesty, the truthfulness of Jesus and his confrontation of the rich young ruler and ourselves. See, some people read this story and they literally are afraid that in order to follow Jesus, they're going to have to sell everything they have and give it to poor people in order to follow Jesus. That's not what it says. This is not what this is about. (laughs) That would just be creating another rule to follow, which if we do what we're told, will somehow get us into God's good books, and as a result, because of our behavior, we might get into heaven. That's not what the Bible says. Gets us into that experience of eternal life, life with God now and forever. But let me tell you this. If Jesus asked you to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, if he did, you'd have to do it because he's your Lord. And you have come to a place in your heart of hearts where you've recognized him as Lord and as Savior. And you have yielded your life to him in faith and in obedience. And faith is the critical component of this dynamic. And as a result, you are willing to obey him in all things. And if you're not, not me speaking, okay? Don't shoot the messenger. Happens on occasion, but that's, what's, what's what's the little phrase, you know, job hazard or whatever? It's the book. It's the words of Jesus. He says, if you're not in that place of willing obedience to me when I speak into your life, and you're willing to directly say no to the command of the living Son of God, you don't have faith, and you're not saved. Back to stewardship. (laughs) The Bible comes along to us, and he says, everything that you have, Jesus says, is mine. And we're going to speak to financial resources for a minute. When we talk about tithing and offerings and all these sorts of generous gifts that we can make to God, it's not first and foremost about money. It's about your heart, my heart. But it's got something to do with money. (laughs) People say, oh, I I can't give 10% to God. Are you out of your mind? It's a lot of money. As I've said to you before, it's not about 10%. It's about 100%. Everything that you have, if you are in Christ, is his to be used in his way. It says two things. Don't, Jesus says, don't use my money in a way that I wouldn't. How about this word? Powerball. $1.6 billion. Honestly, do you think Jesus would run to Buffalo to buy a bunch of tic- tickets so that he might win $1.6 billion to, in essence, throw away his money because the chances of winning the thing, even if it was godly, are ridiculous. Jesus wouldn't use the resources that God, his Father, had put at his disposal to buy lottery tickets. He'd use it to bless people, the poor, for example. There's some things he says don't do, because I wouldn't do it. And then conversely, he says there are a lot of things that I would do that you're not doing that I want you to do. And again, it does not give to the church. It's, you know, provide for your kids. I want that. Take care of them. I've given them to you to love and to cherish and to feed and to clothe. And uh, be good to yourself, too. But there are a whole lot of other things I want you to do with my money. Remember, you're the steward. It's not yours. It's mine. You act on my behalf. Jesus comes along. <laughs> and, and some people, when they do hear about tithing, and you, if you don't know, know now, we believe in the biblical tithe, giving 10% to God. 
God, Jesus comes along and says, give a, a tenth of what you have to support my kingdom-building enterprises, you who steward my money for me. People say, I can't give 10%. What did Jesus give you? You know, he gave you his life. And you're quibbling about 10% of your income? Maybe? <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Honor the Lord Jesus. Give to him. Give to him gladly. You see, people who have come to faith, there's the critical word again, come to that place where Christ has broken into their lives and opened their eyes to see his reality and has transformed their heart. You know what stewards are? They're people who love to give and do so gladly and they do so willingly and they do so freely. Excuse me, and they just wish they could give more because they know how much God has loved him, them and they want to love God back. How often do I stand here before we give on a Sunday morning saying we're giving to you because we love you and we want to bless you, Father? You know, there's a, there's a story in the uh, New Testament, which for a long time I didn't ever kind of connect with the story of the rich young ruler, and now I can't stop doing it. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Here's this, here's this little short guy, you know, who had to climb a tree to see Jesus, but he, obviously money was his God. He loved this stuff. He betrayed his own people cooperated with the Roman dictator in order to steal from uh, uh, the Jewish people in taxation. And one day he met Jesus, and, and Jesus invited himself into his house, like Jesus kind of invites himself into our lives once in a while. <laughs> All the time when we come to faith, it's him doing it. And they sat down over this meal, and they shared their lives. We don't know what Jesus said. I hope in heaven maybe somebody will tell me. Uh, but we don't know what happened there. But what we do know is what was going on in Zacchaeus' life after the interaction with Jesus, his, he was changed. His mind was changed. His heart was changed. This man who had ripped off his own people and become fabulously wealthy in the process, listen to the words that he spoke after that, that meeting with Christ. It's Luke 19, 8 and 9. It says this. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people of their, of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Can you hear the joy in the man's voice? He is changed. He, he, and he's wanting to make things right, but he's acting like a steward. And he's glad to do it because of what God in Christ has done for him. You get this? Faith changes everything. And when Christ, Christ comes by his spirit and he transforms our hearts, we're no longer people who hold on to money and are attached to it. We're ready to let it go for him because it's his anyway. That's stewardship. And you, my friends, if you're in Christ, you're stewards. You really are. Verse 10 of Luke chapter 19 says this. And this is, this is so, so critically important. For the son of... Oh, sorry, verse 9. Back up one. Jesus responded to what Zacchaeus has just said. Salvation has come to this home. When? Today. This man has been transformed by my spirit. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. What is the generous giving? It's nothing other than evidence of faith. He has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. A couple comments and we're done, but where's my time? Oh, I'm doing all right. Uh, if, if you're in Christ, you're a steward. And I want you to grapple hard with this challenging reality by saying, is there anything, including money, that I'm, I am so attached to in my heart that I can't let go of in order to obey Jesus? I hope not. 
I'm going to broaden it just for a few minutes here. I wish I had a whole sermon to speak on this, but there's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that lists a bunch of behaviors, and then it says this hard, hard truth, and I don't deny it's hard. It says at the end of it, um, people who practice these behaviors will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Do you not know, and by the way, before we read it, look at me, don't look there. I want to suggest to you this is exactly the same message that Jesus is teaching the rich young rulers. There's no difference. Okay? Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Was the young guy deceived? He was. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, that's what we've been talking about, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. Next verse. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, is that because people who do, do those things by the very nature of their behavior are excluded, or is it because they don't have faith and therefore they do these things? It's because they don't have faith and this is how they live. Um, and I want to tell you, stewardship is wired into that passage too. It's not there about sexual immorality. Sexually immoral people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Scary dynamic in a culture which is given over to sexual immorality. And I hope not in our church, but I've read the stats and I'm afraid it's too common. But anyway, what does Jesus say? He says, these bodies of yours, they're not yours. They're mine. You've been bought with a price. Honor me with your body, Jesus says. And no sexual immorality. And no prostitution. What else did it say? Can we back up one verse? Second service, I'm really winding down mentally here. <laughs> don't, don't commit adultery. Um, no homosexual offenders. That's homosexual behavior. Not the orientation, but acting upon that desire. And that's hard stuff. In a culture which promotes sexual immorality, Jesus says, you do that, you're not getting into, you're not getting into relationship with me because you've got another God. And he comes along to those of us who are his and says, if you're doing that, are you holding on with such vigor that it, you're so, it's so attached to your heart that you're not willing to let it go? Jesus says, you've got to let it go if you want to be mine because otherwise there's a God in your life and I'm not it. And what you are doing is evidence of your lack of faith, transformed heart, transformed mind. Serious stuff, right? It doesn't stop there. Jesus, Jesus talks about, you know, um, uh, what else? You know, drunkards, I think that's verse 2, if we can go ahead, uh, the second verse, on, on to verse 10. You know, now we talk about addiction, you know, whether it be sub substance abuse or whatever it might be, alcohol or drugs. Or, Jesus said, no, stop that. Stop it. This body, it's too precious to me. <laughs> it doesn't belong to you, it's mine. Take care of it. It's not here, but gluttony is another one. We often tend to glide over that one quickly in the church. <laughs> You're holding on to food, you know, treasuring it in your heart. Not willing to let go of that? It's a God to you. Let it go. When Jesus speaks to the glutton to stop eating so much, if they say no, they're no different than the rich young ruler who went away sad, not having eternal life because they couldn't recognize Christ as Lord in their lives. Greedy? That's kind of what we've been talking about. Live just to get more and 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 more rather than using the resources that you've got. To bless people? You can be greedy if you want, folks, Jesus is saying. Rich young ruler. Wealth attached to heart. 
but you, you can't be mine. No faith there, no transformative power of the Spirit of God there to help you break free from it. And God will help us break free from that which he calls us from. You know, swindlers, thieves. You know, I, I would bet dimes to dollars. Don't bet. I don't think Jesus would want me to do that. But chances are pretty good there are no bank robbers here. Can I see the hands of the bank robbers? We're not, we don't go and, we don't rip people off. But you know where, where the word thief and stealing comes into play in my mind for the Christian community is when it comes to our tax returns. Are we honest? <laughs> honest. People who, who have such trust in God, we don't need to lie in our tax return to get a few more dollars. We have the, a God in heaven who is committed to providing for us and our well-being. You get this stuff? It's one or the other. And, 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 and those who are thieving... Jesus comes along, and if he says to you, you got to stop doing that, we will show ourselves to be his. We will see evidence of faith in our lives by living in obedience to what he calls us to. And this is challenging stuff, right? It is. I, I don't deny that. It's challenging for me. Because I don't care where we're at in the, in the journey of maturity toward Christ-likeness, the Lord Jesus is continually just going to help us identify those areas where we're holding on. And he's going to challenge us to let go of that which maybe our hearts are attached to so that we can attach our hearts only to him. You get that. And we will only do it because of faith and the empowerment of God. He will empower us. If you're struggling with sexual morality, Jesus will free you from it. And if it's with drugs or alcohol, he will free you from it. And if it is, it is dishonesty and, and, and stealing things, he will free you from it. This is the dynamic reality of life in Christ. If we'll just say yes. Here's how we're going to conclude. We're going to take another moment with, with God in silence here. And I hope you'll participate in this. If, if you wish, you can. I'm going to give you one minute. I do it on my watch. It seems like a long time, but it's a minute. Here's the question I would encourage you to ask Christ himself, who is with us by his spirit. The living Lord Jesus is here. Can you ask yourself, this, ask Jesus this question? Lord, what is the one thing that you are calling me to do? What is, is there one thing in my life that I am attached to that I have not been willing to let go of in order to live in obedience to you? Here's what I believe. Uh, that Christ, by his spirit, can guide your thinking so that you know his thoughts. Note, your, note where your mind goes. I said that a couple of weeks ago. And let God speak to you. And my friends, if God in Christ identifies something. Maybe he's done it already. I sure hope he has. He's done it in my life. I hope he does it in your life. I mean, I got to do this all week long. You guys come here for half an hour and, you know, I've been clobbered all week long. In the most gentle and loving way. But my friends, is there something in your life that, that, that you, 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 your heart's attached to and that you struggle to let go of in order to act in faith and obedience to your Lord? Let him identify that for you now. And here's what I want you to do. Here's what I think Jesus wants you to do. He wants to say, Lord Jesus, I'll let it go. Right here, right now, I will, um, I'll sell all my possessions and I'll give them to the poor. 
I'll leave that relationship that is immoral. I will stop looking at pornography. I will stop cheating on my tax return. I will, I don't know. It's up to you and God. It's up to God. It's up to you to say yes in a way that the rich young ruler didn't. So can we spend a minute in his presence in silence? Can you ask the Lord Jesus to identify what your heart is attached to that he asks you to let go of? And then will you do it? The last thing I want is for you to walk out those doors away from Jesus sad because you weren't willing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, speak to us now. We believe with all of our hearts that your spirit is here with us and that you can guide our thoughts and you can lead us to those places uh, which need to be addressed as you did with this rich young man. Um, Lord, in the quietness of this place, as each of your followers prays, open up to them the truth that they need to see and understand, that they might say yes to what you call them to. Hear us now. Lord Jesus, for every one of us who has heard from you and knows now what we must do, uh, we need your grace. We need your supernatural enablement. We need your power to simply obey you. We're willing. By faith, we recognize you as Lord. We've said yes to you. And we pray that you would enable us to be the people you call us to be. Lord God, for those who haven't said yes, we pray today that uh, in time they'll change their mind and they'll acknowledge you as Lord and choose to live in obedience to you. Do the work by your spirit in them that they need for them to be willing stewards before their master. stand and sing this next song with us.
Jesus, you're my hope and stay. 